These were Navalny's groans shortly after takeoff yesterday, just before he lost consciousness. On the morning of August 20th, Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny was admitted into a hospital in Omsk, Siberia. The diagnosis from the doctors was that he was allegedly poisoned. He's in a coma right now, and we're still waiting on news to come out of that region, but we spoke to a couple of experts on the situation to kind of get their take on what's been happening over there. We have Maxim Mironov. Maxim Mironov is a professor at Madrid's IE Business School and has been cooperating with Navalny on corruption-related research since 2009. And of course, like many others, I was very frustrated when we got news that he was uh, poisoned. And conducts a very active blog where he talks about Russian domestic politics and corruption. And we talked about his views on the Navalny poisoning and corruption in Russia more generally. How much money is being sucked out of the Russian economy a year? Through corruption, I think it's at least something about $50 billion a year. How corrupt do you think is Mr. Vladimir Putin? He's a czar of corruption. He's the basement of this corruption. You're listening to The Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Here today with Lara. Hi, Lara. Hi. And our guest today is Maxim Mironov. Uh, Maxim is a professor at Madrid's IE Business School, and he has been cooperating with Alexei Navalny on corruption-related research since 2009. And as many of us know, uh, Navalny is in a very critical situation. But the latest news is that he is going to get out of Russia on a plane to Germany for treatment. Finally, permission granted for Alexei Navalny to be flown to Berlin for emergency treatment, but not without a fight. But before we get into that, uh, Maxime, welcome to the podcast. So, I mean, first, I, I think uh, it would be really interesting to hear what what is your relationship, Navalny? When did you meet him? And how long have you been cooperating with Alexei? I know him for 11 or 12 years before he actually became famous because we share both in, um, um, we are both interested in corruption in Russia. I got PhD from uh, from Chicago it was actually based on tax evasion and tax stealing and corruption Russian firms including like the largest firms like Gazprom and so on and he was doing roughly the same. He was much better we are in promoting his ideas, so we are cooperated like on each other based on this issue. Later, we start talking with each other much more often, and eventually, when he was trying to to be a presidential candidate two years ago in 2018, mm-hmm. I was one of co-author of his presidential program. So basically, it was like five or six people, and I was uh, one of the economists who was author of, uh, of these ideas. And yeah, so we are continuing to uh, by exchanging messages and so on, because I cannot tell that I support all of his ideas, but 90% of ideas are going to be uh, very useful for future Russia. And of course, like many others, I was very frustrated yesterday when we got news that he was uh, poisoned. It was definitely was poisoning by, by some sort of secret service and so on, because all behavior actually of Russian authorities show that 
actually it was some sort of government operation. And so I read your blog post about the poisoning. And, you know, we, we hear after every one of these attempted poisonings, we hear, you know, especially, for example, after the attempted assassination of Boris Nemtsov, that this is not needed for the Kremlin, right? That they don't have an interest in assassinating opposition yeah. leaders because, well, 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 how do you react to this argument? It's a, a standard argument after each of these assassination or attempt of assassination, we hear a lot of comments, especially from state media. Oh, it's so bad for image of Putin. He never would allow such kind of attack and so on and so forth. However, we see that no single investigation was made under after such kind of attacks. And it, it's not like one, two, three, I think it's at least 10 or even more. Uh, extremely famous uh, poisoning was made during the last 10 years and probably much uh, many more unfamous because if it's successful you should be case it, it, it's like uh, uh, probably you heard about poisoning of Litvinenko is Skripal because it was uh, not successful so we don't know how many people died men had like 60 years and so on so it's, it's sort of okay because they used a very rare type of poison that Nobody can detect or can detect only with uh, special equipment. Majority of hospitals don't have. And this is actually one of the reasons, I think, why they didn't let Navalny uh, fly to Germany. I hope eventually he's going to fly. It looks like the pressure, the international pressure, the pressure of many people who went today, uh, including my family, we actually went to uh, embassy of uh, uh, Russia in Buenos Aires to protest to show that we're actually against such kind of treatment. But you see, so Zengsik holding him, and the main reason, of course, is not because they care about his state, because he's in the in a very typical hospital in Omsk. I'm from Siberia myself. I know what is actually typical uh, typical hospital in Omsk. It's when you don't have any bathrooms. It's, it's it's terrible facilities. So they tried not to let him to Germany because they are actually afraid that in Germany they can do proper tests and reveal what kind of poison was applied. Let's say Navalny doesn't pull through this, and uh, it would be a, a, a huge tragedy. But if Alexei were to die, what do you think that would mean for kind of the Russian opposition and the anti-Putin movement? At this point, I don't want to talk even in conditional uh, sentence about this, because I know him quite well. He's a very healthy person. He's basically running. He doesn't have any... He doesn't consume alcohol or any drugs and so on. He's extremely healthy. So I think he's going to survive. I don't think it's the right point to discuss what. I did also want to mention, referring to your live journal post, you bring up Vladimir Posner's uh, response to the poisoning as well. Do you agree with his statement? He was saying that if an offender wanted to harm Russia, this is the best way they could possibly do it. What are your thoughts on that? No, I don't agree because uh, Vladimir Posner is a very interesting guy. So I don't know whether he, uh, you followed his career. He actually was a propagandist for Soviet Union. After that, he was propagandist for Russia. Now he's propagandist for... So basically, he always tried to sort of uh, do propaganda in soft way. Uh, because, as I mentioned before, 
a lot of comments before that uh, it's going to harm Russia, it's going to harm Putin. The truth is, he's afraid of any kind of competition. So, at some reasons, he decided to apply this kind of uh, weapon. And we saw a lot of examples, and we saw at least two proven examples in international case when all these cases were traced to uh, uh, Russian uh, uh, KGB, basically, basically the same. So it's a nice theory. It's a very nice theory. It sounds very nice. Yeah, it's going to harm Russia, but eventually they they do not make any attempts to uh, not even to find probably they're lazy they don't have you can think okay so they're lazy don't they don't have uh, facilities on but as you see this example of Navalny they make all attempts not to let him out of Russia so they invest efforts to hide evidence you see one way okay so you lost in corrupt countries, we know that a lot of institutions do not work because they don't work. But they put all efforts to hide evidence. And if you saw pictures, since yesterday, they had a whole hospital full of agents, high-rank agents, not like just typical police which protect No, it was like high-rank officers in their uh, office of uh, chief of uh, chief of uh, of this hospital. It was agents. It's obvious they, they not just come to ensure the safety of came just to, to explain to the doctors what to do. So I don't buy these arguments. Maxim, why does Navalny pose such a threat to Putin? I mean, he's been publishing these investigations for years, and it seems that not much changes. So why does why why now? Why does he pose a threat now? It's not true, actually, that uh, nothing was changing. I can give you just one example as a scientist. Like a few years ago, I finished a paper with my wife, who's actually just got PhD from uh, UCLA in political science. We ran an experiment of negative campaign in 2013 when Navalny ran for Moscow mayor election. We didn't have any problems to print a newspaper against the incumbent uh, mayor, and we successfully distributed that we work in such kind of case. And so, so basically ran scientific experiment. We uh, finished a paper and soon we are going to submit it to some political science journals. So we didn't have any issues with it. We tried to run a similar experiment in 2018, two years ago, when Navalny was run for president. First, he was prohibited to run against constitution. So uh, constitution gave him an explicit right. He has a right to, to run for president. It was prohibited. Second, when we tried to, to publish newspaper against Putin, no printing plans basically agreed to print it informally. We managed to print in two printing plans in St. Petersburg and Yekaterinburg. It's like it's uh, one of the largest cities in Siberia. It's like uh, 1.5 million people, I think. And secret service agents actually stopped the cars when they were taking newspapers out of printing plants. They arrested newspapers, they arrested people. Without any explanation, I called to them, I told it's completely legal, but they just confiscated. And all other printing plans, they just refused to print. It was completely legal. I offered like money in cash without any kind of delay and so on, but they just told no, we just 
got calls. So one printing plant just told me we got calls and sorry, we cannot do it. No single printing plant in entire Russia agreed. We can like like 42 printing plants, they tell no. And now if you look at um, other facts, this is just my personal experience. So I see it's much tougher. Why? Because they now much more scared of him and people who try to basically campaign for him or against Putin. Now they actually close his foundation, Afebeka, the Kantia Cash Foundation. They send fake money, one from US, one from Spain, like no relation to Navalny, just sort of he managed to deal with it. They sent a fake lawsuit against him and so and for everybody, basically for everybody, a lot of people who work with him in his foundation, they find something like criminal lawsuit. He's still successful in campaigning. And um, basically now we have elections in a couple of weeks. In the beginning of September, we had like uh, elections in many cities. So people actually think that United Russia is going to lose. It's not true that actually nothing's going on. By all evidence, we see that a lot of things going on. Since they urgently introduced the change in election law, it basically means that they're really scared. They're really scared that United Russia is going to lose votes in many regional elections, and they're very scared of such kind of a, a Belarusia scenario when people are going out of streets and so on. So I think all these factors together force him to poison Navalny now because elections basically in two weeks, very soon. So they're going to lose. And Navalny is one of the main guys who is actually helping to organize people to vote against United Russia. So, and um, as evidence in action, that actually Putin is uh, uh, losing his support because when he announced his uh, sort of referendum in July, it was also against all laws. It was one week of uh, early voting. And uh, nobody even uh, told people that people are going to vote to allow Putin to be re-elected. It was hidden by other amendments which have nothing to do with Putin's re-election. So. How corrupt do you think is Mr. Vladimir Putin? He's a czar of corruption. He's the basement of this corruption. And he's personally involved in corruption and he's encouraging our official for corruption because it's his way of ruling country. Uh, Maxim, do you think that the events going on in Belarus or in Khabarovsk right now played any role in the decision to do this now? Yes, both of these events were quite significant for decision makers because in Khabarovsk, nothing, something like that happened in Russia for many, many years. So last time, probably it was like when I was a kid, it was the end of 80s, when the miners in Kemerova, it's basically a region which is close to my, close from my city, uh, went to strike. It was 88, 89. So it was quite a big movement. After that, people never uh, went to talk to protest for such a long time and in such numbers. 
And of course, uh, what is happening now in Belarus also never happened for the last 30 years. Maxime, how do you, assuming hopefully Navalny recovers, how, what can we, how can we expect for the next few days to go after this? It's very difficult to predict uh, what happens exactly. Even for Lukashenko, you can see Lukashenko uh, uh, basically lost this election, lost not by 2%, 5%, but it looks like he got maximum of 20%, probably less. But he's still in power, and nobody knows when he's going to be in power. Putin is he's a very smart guy. So he's a very smart guy. He has a he built a lot of institutions to suppress all, all kind of uh, people uprising and so on. He's clever. He spends a lot of money to buy opposition leaders and so on. He he's not going to surrender just because people want him to surrender. surrender. He's going to, I don't know for how many years, but it might be a very long time. I guess to kind of wrap up on on Navalny, is it safe to say we shouldn't be expecting any high quality investigation on this anytime soon? I think even in your blog, you predicted that there's with the doctors not uh, releasing information with delays that this isn't going to go solved anytime soon. No, it's it's it, it's not true. It's true if we talk Russia. Yeah, inside Russia, it's it's safe. But I hope tomorrow morning he is going to fly to Germany. Probably some steel of uh, uh, some trace of poison is still in his uh, his body, so they can at least reveal of what kind of poison was applied. And there are other people who can make this investigation. So of course it's much more difficult because it was already like 48 hours past and so on. So it's much more difficult than before, but it's possible. But this in Russia, it's impossible. It's hundred percent. Yes. Maxime, I, I read your paper about corruption in Russia and the big four auditing firms. It's called Monitoring the Monitors, Auditors, Corporate Theft and Corruption. It's a working paper, but a lot of it was very new and interesting to me. And in it, you say that uh, the big four auditors, that their fees go up for the more of the transactions that are put onto these so-called spacemen. I guess in Russian, they would be cosmonauti. But these yes. uh, third parties, which are really just a, a form of corruption to, to get a kickback like Atkat for a contract or something like that. And so my question is, you know, the big four auditors are American. Well, they're multinational corporations, but they're these Western in- institutions. And so the question for me is what needs to change for this to stop in Russia? And what, what are the actions that can be taken and, I, and before you give your answer, I'm sure you've you've known about the Wirecard scandal in Germany, which involves Ernst & Young, which is a big yeah. auditor, and they had billions of dollars missing. And so it seems to me that the maybe the big four are not the solution and the entire system needs major change. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you're right. The entire system needs change and it's changing. 20 years ago, it was much worse because 20 years ago, Exactly the same happened even outside of Russia. It happened in the United States. Probably remember Big Four was actually Big Five in 2001. Yes, Arthur Anderson and Enron, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So actually they did exactly the same. Enron was actually bribing Arthur Anderson for 
such of a good oil opinion. And after that, it was a huge change in legislation. They made mandatory disclosure of audited fees for U.S. companies or for companies who basically traded in the U.S. and many other things. And the things, the situation improved dramatically. So it's not like, yeah, we should destroy it and so on. It's, you always have a conflict of interest because people are getting money for checking. And of course, if you something wrong with you, they have two choices. Whether not check or just turn a blind, a blind eye on all these kind of things. And it's not only true for auditors. The same problems we had in the credit, credit agency. So one of the reasons why we had a previous financial crisis in 2008-2009, it was exactly because credit agency basically issued not exactly correct credit rating. And there are several papers that show that they actually sort of, uh, the clients sort of bribed credit rating agency. So you always have conflict of interest. And of course, all history of legislation try to mitigate this conflict of interest. Can you remove it completely? Probably not. But of course, my paper or similar papers reveal the source of this conflict, reveal what factors affect it, and this is a, uh, basically a ground for modification of their future legislation. So yeah, we should somehow introduce additional control on these kind of transactions and so on, because there is no other way. It's only by learning by doing. So with regards to Russia, there are, you know, hundreds of major, gigantic, multinational, but America-based, United States-based companies operating in Russia. Obviously, we have the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act in the United States that should make corruption abroad illegal. But as far as you know, do American companies operating in Russia knowingly engage in corruptive schemes or is the whole point that they don't know because of it's all accounting practices? Yes, actually, yeah, I, I know quite uh, a lot of friends who worked in multinational. And formally, yes, they have, all they have special department and practices, all top managers have a lecture and this is that you cannot bribe and so on. So it's extremely strict from the formal point of view. But of course, if you want to get contracts, you basically can get it. It's not easy, but their uh, easiest way how they do, they uh, hire intermediary. They can bribe directly, but let's say they hire intermediary for consulting service, they do something and they just, they don't want to do, they don't want to know what to do. Of course, if intermediary tells we bribe people, we are not going to hire you. But if we hire you, let's say, for solving problems, we don't want to understand how you solve the problems. So it's still possible, but of course, uh, this kind of legislation, it's a huge help because you probably know that Daimler Chrysler and uh, Siemens and other companies still got huge fines for such kind of practices when they actually bribe officials for contracts and it's working. So again, it's not ideal, but it's quite useful. But yeah, you cannot solve the problems completely because... Uh, Otherwise, you couldn't do business in majority of the countries in the world. But kind of on on net, on average, is it safe to assume that you know these using these big auditors like Ernst and Young or whoever in Russia decreases the likeliness of corruption, yes. at least in Russia? Yes. 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 If if you actually check, uh, if you read my paper, 
you see that they do still much better jobs than local auditors. So they still allowed some sort of uh, income diversion zone, but they the difference is huge between uh, companies which are audited by other auditors and uh, big four auditors. So if that is the case, then is there a movement for more and more Russian companies to use Western auditors so that there will be less corruption? And is that, is that something that like Navalny has thought about putting in as a campaign plank because it would help decrease corruption to use Western auditors? Yeah, this is true, actually. If you see more and more Russian companies use uh, Western auditors from 2000 and so on, if you want to get access to international credit market, if you want to do IPO or get any kind of loan, you must have big four audit. So more and more companies actually go for big four audit and big four audit, they still apply much stricter standards of audits than any kind of uh, any uh, Russian auditor. So there's Navalny and he's kind of the leader of this. Are there any other corruption investigators that you particularly uh, suspect or think that Western audiences should know about? And uh, another small question, do you have a favorite investigation by Navalny or by any corruption investigator? For example, there was the there was the the Rosneft one, there was all kinds. Do you have a particular favorite? Probably there are some journalists who can uncover corruption, but Navalny is master not only uncover, but presented to their uh, audience in such kind of entertainment. It's, it's like, if you saw on Van Dimo, it's like entertainment movie. It's not boring when you read uh, fact and so on, which is why he has like millions and millions and tens of millions of uh, views and so on. So Navalny is basically good, not only investigation, but also on promoting his uh, his investigation. So which is why there are some probably good investigators, but they cannot they cannot sell their ideas. So which is and which is crucial. If you want to get impact, you must sell your ideas. I never thought about what is my favorite investigation. So, but okay. yeah, on one one was quite of the probably the most famous, and I think yeah, it was uh, well done because it was uh, about the prime minister. So yeah. So what what are what are your main priorities right now uh, as uh, an academic? What is, what is, what is your main work right now? Yeah, my last paper is not related to corruption in Russia. Sorry. So I'm looking at uh, so we, we just finished a draft on the paper how uh, football games in Euro affected uh, COVID uh, spread. And actually, we kind of find <laughs> quite a strong relation and see how it's all related to uh, stock returns. Because, you know, I'm a finance professor, so I sometimes I need to do some research related to finance, not corruption <laughs> in Russia. Great. That's fascinating. And as soon as we started getting into the economics of things, I uh, had to step back a little bit. I did. I did kind of also just want to ask. I think we've been asking all of our guests if you've been doing okay in the in the COVID nineteen. How is it looking where you're at right now in Buenos Aires? You mentioned. Yeah, in Buenos Aires. It's uh, quarantine for five months, and uh, you know, when kids, I have five kids. So when five kids are not going to school for five months, it's quite a challenging experience. But yeah, besides that, it's actually, uh, everything is nice. That's good. I think we're all going through our own challenging experiences right now as well. Well, uh, Maxime, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, We'd love to have you back on the podcast at some point, maybe in Russian. If if you would like to come on, we would love to have you. Okay, I can talk to you next time. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much.
That was our talk with Maxime Mironov. Uh, we apologize for any audio issues. We know that it's a, a tough time on everyone's bandwidth, among other things. But we hope that you were you enjoyed it. Maxime is someone who knows Alexei very well and knows corruption in Russia very well. He's uh, an authoritative source on these kinds of questions. But I'm a little bit more skeptical that the Kremlin would be in a rush to poison Navalny in, in such a fashion. Uh, you know, the Kremlin has spent years investing against him, right, and building him up as the opposition leader, and they're very comfortable with him being playing that role. It's that, I mean, Navalny is stability, predictability. Now, a post-Navalny environment brings a lot of instability and unpredictability, which are things that I think the Kremlin really doesn't like. So I'm a little bit more skeptical. But what, Lara, what did you think? I mean, if anything, I'm kind of tending to focus on the man himself. Just looking at the recent updates that I've been seeing on Twitter of just how the doctors haven't been communicating with his wife, how she's been pleading for assistance. She wrote to the Kremlin herself for aid. I think this whole situation that's sort of unfolding is is wild. As, as any kind of poisoning or attack that we've been reading on in the last few years, you sort of watch it unfold and, and feel almost like you're in a movie or something. But I, I agree. It's hard to imagine with the upcoming elections that are happening without his presence. I do wonder. I'm, I'm curious to see kind of what updates are going to happen from here, what's going to happen when he gets to Germany. Yeah, and we should say this is very much an ongoing story. So we're hoping that everything we're saying is still relevant when this goes up. But things are changing very quickly. And we're very lucky to have Max's opinion because this is somebody who has come into contact and studied from an academic angle, Russian corruption very intimately. And so I think that he's a voice who definitely is authoritative on on something like this. Yeah, we we were very lucky to have him on here and hopefully... We'll have him back later for to touch on a couple of other topics. That would be great. We're definitely inviting him. On our next podcast, we will be having Mark Galliotti. Mark is a lecturer and writer on transnational crime and Russian security affairs at the University College London. So I hope you'll enjoy. The views expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Please visit SlavXRadio.com for more information. Thank you for listening. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you.